Well, what an appropriate song, uh, Redeemer of the Rain. We have a, a great God. Uh, what I want you to do is take out your cell phones. Take them out. Okay. And what I want you to do is to turn it off. Okay, I know that's going to cause anxiety for a lot of you. If you don't know how to do it, check with a friend. But... Uh-oh. Will a millennial help me to turn it off? I don't know. I might not turn it off either. Oh, the top two buttons. So this, yeah. There you go. All right. <clears throat> Are they off? It, it takes a millennial to do certain things. All right. Are they off? Yes, sir. Okay. Uh, the reason why I wanted to have you turn your phones off is because I, I don't want you to be distracted by your phones. I know that uh, sometimes they vibrate and other things and, and they distract us. And, and I've got a very important question that I need to ask you. And, and what I want you to do is I want you to kind of empty your mind uh, of all the distractions, what, whatever you have going on the next hour. The, the question I'm going to ask you is of utmost importance. And what I'd like to do is have you bow your head, close your eyes, clear your head, and focus on the question I'm about to ask. And I don't want you to answer it right now. I want you just to, to consider the question. Wait till the end of the message to answer it. The question I want to ask you is, do you love God. Do you love God? Maybe a, a more diagnostic question might be, can others around you claim or determine that you indeed love God? Is there enough evidence in your life to show those around you that you love God? Do you love him? Loving God is going to help us in tremendous ways as believers. And we need to make sure that we do focus on that. Do you love God? Okay. You can uh, open your eyes. I'd like you to turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 6. And a very important passage for uh, those that are uh, in the nation of Israel at the particular time of this message. And I think it's very appropriate for us today. Deuteronomy chapter number six. Let me start reading with verse one. Deuteronomy chapter six, verse one. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land whether you go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, in all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. 
Hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with you, and that you may increase mightily, as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that floweth with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto the children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the post of thy house and on thy gate. What we have here is God telling Israel how it is that they are to act or how they are to respond based upon uh, the commands that he is giving to them. Uh, it's very important for us just to, to look at some of the background information for this, just so we can, we can look at this and, and get the setting for this. So uh, as we prepare for that, let me just pray and ask God to really help us to really hear from him this morning. I, I don't want you to hear me. I want you to hear his word. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for uh, this time of chapel. And Lord, I know these students are, are extremely busy, and there's so many things that are going on through their head, but Lord, I pray that for this short time, you would help them to just simply focus on the Word. And Lord, that they could answer that question truthfully and honestly. And if they see a deficiency in their love for you, Lord, I pray that through this message that they might grow to love you more and more. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your wonderful love. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let me remind you of the background. I know it's not any surprise to any one of you, but the nation of Israel was, was placed into Egypt. Uh, Joseph uh, led them in there. They were to be protected from the famine. Uh, and, and so they had been in Egypt about 400 years uh, until a pharaoh, a king, did not know Israel any longer. Uh, and was afraid of them and, and put them into hard labor lest they try to overthrow the Egyptian government. God miraculously brought them out of that captivity uh, using the leadership of Moses and had the promise that he had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob of a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey, everything that they could ever want. So as Moses leads them out of Egypt, he, he brings them through the desert and, and takes them to a place called Kadesh Barnea. Uh, they send some spies in to look at the land um, just to see what's there. They came back with reports of, yes, it certainly is flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord mentioned. But there's giants there. Uh, there are uh, armies that I, I don't think we can handle them, and I don't think we should go in. The 12 spies that go in to Joshua and Caleb were the ones who had a good report, but the people followed the bad report. And so because of their disobedience in not going in to possess the land, God sentenced them to 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. The, the promised land is there, the land that's flowing with milk and honey that God had promised them, 
But everyone who uh, was disobedient to God, 20 years old and above, uh, perished in that wilderness. So as we come to Deuteronomy, the nation of Israel stands on the threshold of the promised land again. Uh, they're not at Kadesh Barnea, but they're uh, on the east side of the Jordan River, waiting to enter in. Before they enter in, what God does is he provides them with some instructions. He, he doesn't want to have the same thing happen before, and I think they've learned their lesson that they need to trust God, especially because as they wandered in the wilderness, they were able to be victorious over every enemy they encountered, that God was on their side. And they knew that he would fight for them as well. So they're, they're going in. So just before they go in, Moses, uh, getting the revelation from God, uh, writes and communicates to the nation of Israel uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Now, the name Deuteronomy may be a little misleading. It, it comes from two Greek words, uh, deuteros, uh, meaning second, and, and namos, meaning law. So the, the name really means second law, but it's, it's really not a second law. It's a repeat of the first law, because when the nation of Israel came out of Egypt, they went to Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and God gave them some instructions. And those instructions gave them a guideline of how they can live to please God. Well, when they didn't believe God and didn't go into the promised land, God had to go back and remind them, because most of the people that were standing on the threshold of the promised land had not been there to receive the first law or the, the first time that law was. So, so Moses wants to repeat it, so there is no question about what God expects from his people. And so Deuteronomy would be a repeat of the law. And so when we look at Deuteronomy, it's repeating what God did, or what God told Israel in Exodus chapter 20, verse 24. And what God does is he uses a covenant to make this agreement with the nation of Israel. So it's very interesting when you, when you study this. You think, why did God use a covenant? Well, what archaeology has told us is that in the time in which the nation of Israel uh, was wandering in the wilderness, about to go in the promised land, the nations around there, if they wanted to make agreement with somebody else, they would use a covenant. And the structure of that covenant, it's amazing, uh, is exactly the same as what uh, the covenant format that we have really uh, outlining the book of Deuteronomy. So God uses the convention of that day to help to make a promise to make sure that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God will make good on his promise, that God is a faithful God. Amen. Didn't just say it with words. Now today, what we might do is we might have a contract written up uh, and we might sign that contract on the bottom and say, okay, this is my agreement. So if you're gonna buy a house, uh, it's probably about this many papers you have to sign, but, but a bunch of papers you have to sign, uh, and what you're doing is you're agreeing to pay back the loan on that property. <clears throat> back then, they would do a covenant. And it's very interesting when you, when you study the book of Deuteronomy that it actually lays out in that same format. So the whole book of Deuteronomy is really a covenant that God is establishing with the nation of Israel. Um, and just let me, just for information to help you, uh, let me give you the outline of it. Uh, the first part of that covenant would have been what was referred to as the preamble. Uh, the preamble, if you look in Deuteronomy, we won't go through the verses, but Deuteronomy chapter one, verse uh, one through five, really is the preamble. And it relates exactly how, if you take one of those ancient Near Eastern covenants, the same structure is there. 
So God used the convention of that day to help them to understand that he indeed is a faithful God and he will make good on his covenant. Um, next is what was referred to as the historical prologue. Uh, that would be chapter 1, verse 6, all the way through chapter number 4. And if you look in Deuteronomy, what you'll find is that there is a recounting of the travels of the nation of Israel um, as they go into uh, the land that God has for them or as they were wandering in the wilderness. Uh, and, and so that, again, follows that, that idea. And what we see in that time is we see that God was with the nation of Israel. God was with them. He fought for them. He helped them. And so God's recounting, hey, remember I was with you. Remember I helped you. And so that's what that historical uh, prologue is, just to help them to understand God was always with them, uh, and he will be with them as they go into land. Uh, the next part was the uh, general stipulations, and uh, if you start with chapter number five, going all the way through chapter number 11, there's some general uh, stipulations, general requirements that God requires. If you want to be my people, if you want to be blessed by all the blessings I want to give you, you have to abide by these stipulations. And so in chapter number five, you notice it actually starts out with the Ten Commandments, the, the Decalogue, uh, and recounts that, but then goes into further with it. Uh, then there are some specific stipulations, chapter 12 through 26. Uh, there's also, what's interesting, in chapter 28 through 30, there are blessings and curses. If Israel is obedient to God, he promises to bless them, and, and bless them tremendously. But if they fail to believe, if they fail to obey this covenant that God's establishing with Israel, they're going to receive all the curses. And, and eventually, unfortunately, the nation of Israel did not obey the, the commands of God. And God took them out of that wonderful promised land that he had given them and put them into captivity. Um, they were not faithful to his covenant. Um, the final thing is the, the document disposition, where that document would be stored. And it's included in the book of Deuteronomy uh, in chapter 31, verses 24 to 26. <clears throat> One thing that's helpful is that the, the information about the ancient Near Eastern covenant format was lost for thousands of years, except the Bible still had it. And so when archaeology discovered that, it really helps to prove that the Bible is uh, an ancient book. Uh, the Bible is fully true uh, and just gives us a sense to rejoice in what we have from God. But God wanted to use a pattern that the nation of Israel would be familiar with to help them to understand what is his part in this covenant because a covenant is between two parties, typically a, a, a suzerain or a king and a vassal, the people. And there's certain things the king will do, and there's certain things the people have to do in response uh, to all of that. And, and you think, well, oh, okay, that's good for the Old Testament, but you realize that God made a covenant with us in the New Testament. It's what's called the New Covenant. Uh, and that covenant was sealed by the blood of Jesus Christ. So it's important for us to understand this, this covenant uh, format because we see that God has established a covenant with us. It's, it's not by a law. It's by grace, uh, the grace of God. And, and Jesus paid for our sins, and all we have to do is accept his salvation, and we can be saved, and we receive all the blessings of that covenant. And God loves us, and he'll never turn his back on us. He'll, he'll never say, get out of my family, I don't want you, because he has made a covenant with us, and that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. So, so important for us to understand that. Uh, Hebrews 12, 24 says, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant. 
and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than of Abel. And so you have the sense of God is a covenant-making, but God is a covenant-keeping God. Uh, and that's so important. Uh, Brother Bert last night was talking about uh, the word hesed. Uh, that's the word for sometimes referred to or, or translated as uh, the, the mercy in the kindness of God. Uh, but it refers to, as he said, the, the covenant faithfulness of God. That if God makes a promise, we don't have to worry that he will not keep his end. We have to worry that we'll keep our end of that promise. That's the important aspect about that. And as we look at our, our text, um, it, it gives us basically God providing the, the, the general stipulations, but he also provides us with some insight in how it is that we're to deal with a, a, an almighty, all-loving, covenant-keeping God. Uh, so look back at Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. He says, now these are the commandments. So going back to the beginning of chapter five, you've got the 10 commandments repeated, plus you have all the commands that God is going to give them in the, the next few chapters. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that ye might do them. God expects obedience. God doesn't want us just to go out and do our own thing. Uh, he has certain requirements for his people. Now, his requirements are not burdensome. His requirements are good. They're perfect. If you want to have a life uh, that is lived out in a way that is glorifying to God and helpful to you, follow God's plan. He's not trying to harm us or hold us back. He's not like some of these unmerciful kings that, that impose these taxes on these people that, that they couldn't even bear. But God is our loving Heavenly Father. Uh, that is there to help us and to guide us. Uh, and so we have the, the, the commandments that God is about to give, but the command is to do them. You know, here I'm laying out all the commands. You, you know what you should do, you just need to go and follow that. Look at verse two. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes in his commandments. Again, the, the idea is that if God has given us some commands, we need to make sure we follow those commands. Uh, which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's sons, all the days of thy life. So <laughs> there's not a vacation from God's commands. We have to obey God's commands all the time. Uh, verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel. Oh, actually, let me, um, I skipped a part. Um, command thee, the son, the sons, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. In other words, God has a benefit. If we follow his statutes, his commands, there, there's a benefit for us. It's the blessings of God, uh, and he will give us those blessings. He will pour abundantly those blessings, but, but he asks us to do these few things. Make sure you follow these commands, and I will prolong your days. I will give you more days to your life. Verse 3, hear therefore, O Israel, and observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, that ye may increase mightily. So once again, another benefit that God says, you obey these and you're gonna increase mightily. You're gonna have more power. As the Lord, thy God, uh, the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land flowing with milk and honey. And God's again saying, this land that I promised Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, I'm promising it to you. Go in and possess the land. Be obedient to me, follow these commands and I will bless you exceedingly. 
And the same thing we have today, that God has some expectations for us. He wants us to follow his ways. He wants us to live in obedience to his commands. And God wants to bless us. The problem is sometimes we can't see beyond our own ideas, our own desires, and we miss what God has for us. Um, sometimes we shortchange things, thinking it's going to be easy for us, but we miss out on the blessings of God. Now, Israel's responsibility uh, is, is given to us, starting with verse 4. And, and verse 4 reads, Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. A very, very important part of uh, this whole scripture. Uh, this is what's called the Shema, because the first word is Shema, Shema which means hear. Sometimes referred to as the great Shema. Every young Hebrew child would be required to memorize this as soon as they could speak. And most of Jewish descendants would go in, they would repeat this in the morning and the afternoon. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Uh, as an important aspect about uh, this nation, they had to recognize, hey, we serve one God. We don't serve these idols that are around here, these other nations are serving. We serve the Lord God. But notice what he says next. Verse 5. And this is the, the real key that I want to focus on. Because we serve one God, because we serve an infinite, almighty, transcendent God, what are we to do? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God, with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. These words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. Very important uh, with it. The, the word love here has a, a very intense meaning. It can, can range from uh, more of a secular, more of a, a sinful lust or desire that you might have, uh, to a, a God-given love. In the New Testament, we would say agape would be the, the word that would be used here. But, but this term is identified this intense affection that God has for us. But in turn, we need to turn our affections back to God. God didn't want the nation of Israel just to obey his commands just so that they would be obedient. He wanted them to love him as he loved them. And it's important for us to recognize that this concept of love is so important. Uh, not only the, the, the knowledge that God loves us, but that we, in turn, go and love God. That's so important for us to remember. Uh, the primary duty of the Israelite was not to serve different gods indiscriminately, but to, do, to devote himself undivided allegiance uh, with pure, intense affection to one God, and that was the Lord God. Uh, this word love is a verb, uh, and to love God and worship and serve him is really the highest privilege that any one of us can ever do, simply to love our God. And, and so when God commands us to love, he's inviting us to do that which is the very best, the, the most important thing that we can do. Because if we love God, then everything else kind of falls into place, doesn't it? When we sin, what we're saying is we don't love God 
And we're not expressing our love for God in that particular way. Uh, Love is a a volitional commitment to God uh, that's personal, that's comprehensive, that's that's wholehearted. Um, It's uh, an act of the will uh, that we choose to relate to God uh, as we would another person. So as you have uh, a mother or father or, or maybe a boyfriend or girlfriend, a husband and wife that you, you love, uh, we relate to them from this, this sense of this uh, emotional experience of love. Uh, but we also need to make sure that we love God uh, even more than we love others, uh, love God supremely. And, and just think of the, the tremendous love that God has for us. And the question comes up, why should we love God? Because he first loved us. He reached out when we were unlovable, and he loved us. So why do we love God? Because he first loved us. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's a God we can love. That's a God we should love. That's a God that there should not be anything that keeps us from loving this God because of all the things that he's done for us. Um, Love must permeate everything that we do. God doesn't want you just to be obedient and just go through the motions of being a Christian. He wants you to do the things he commands because you love him in return for his great love for us. And uh, we can just go back in in just this day and and see the different ways that God has worked in our life to express his great love for us. Shouldn't we in turn show love for him? Uh, God didn't want fear to be a motivating factor. Fear is really not a good motivating factor because as soon as that fear is gone, Uh, There's no motivation. But God uses love, which he has a continual love for us. That's the motivating factor that God uses. Our our world thinks differently. Well, if I just have enough fear, if I raise my voice enough and and then people will listen to me and obey me. No. God's way is the best way. And his motivation of love is is the most that we can understand. Uh, think about 1 Corinthians 13. We always talk about that as the, the love chapter. And we, we recognize the fact of it, it's the way that God expects us to love one another. But do you realize that's the way God loves us? Love is patient. Uh, how many people have any experience that God has been patient with you? Love is kind. Does not envy. Uh, all those things uh, that we recognize, that the greatness of our God's love towards us And in turn, we need to make sure that we love him supremely in our life. Now, you might think, well, that's that's great. That's Deuteronomy. That's an Old Testament command. Well, uh, this command is repeated three times in the New Testament, uh, in Matthew, uh, Mark, and also in Luke. And and let me just read it. So um, let me go back through and just just read Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 with me for one moment. So Deuteronomy chapter 6. Uh, Actually, verse 5, sorry. Uh, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thine soul, and with all thy might. Heart, soul, and might. Look at Matthew. 
Uh, Matthew 22, verse 33, if you want to just listen or just write that down, Matthew 22, verse 37, uh, Jesus said unto him, so in, as the, the Pharisee, the, the, uh, the lawyer, the one who knows the law, he says to Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Trying to trip him up. And in reply, Jesus says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Mark chapter 12, verse 30 says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. Interesting. Four. Luke, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Luke chapter 10, verse 27. And notice there's a difference in each one of these that Matthew replaces strength with mind. Mark has mind, heart, soul, and strength. So he, he just adds mind to the other three that are found in Deuteronomy. Luke uses the same words as Mark does, but he just rearranged the order. Now, the, the skeptic's going to say, well, see, the Bible is not accurate, it's not truthful, they're, they're not even quoting the Old Testament right, and so <clears throat> let's just throw the Bible out. <laughs> no. No, the Bible is true. There's two reasons for this. One is that the, the Old Testament concept of mind was really developed in the term that is translated as heart. So the, the term in, in Hebrew that's translated as heart is a word that also is used and translated as mind. Uh, it, it can mean both things. And, and essentially, our heart is really in our, our head. It's not really down here. And so we have that, that understanding about our, our heart. And, and so in this case, you, you look at the Old Testament, or Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew, there's no word for brain. Uh, if you talk about the head, it's referencing to a literal head rather than our mind or our thoughts. So, so the concept of mind was also incorporated into the term heart. Uh, so in Deuteronomy where it says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, uh, with all thy soul and with all thy strength, he was saying that uh, the concept of heart is both your emotions but also your mind as well. Kind of interesting. Uh, another reason for that, and so the, uh, actually the, the New Testament, the word cardia is the word for heart, but the Greeks have two different words, the word for heart and the word for mind. And, and so just to make sure that they're incorporating the, the entire idea of that passage in the New Testament, uh, they add the word mind. Uh, because that's what that Old Testament says. So that's one reason. I think the other reason is that <clears throat> this is not an exhaustive list. There are different ways that we can refer to it. Basically, what is being said here is love God with every fiber of your being. Your, your heart, your, heart your, your mind, your hands, your elbow, your knees, whatever it is, love God. Uh, with all of it, extremely. And it's important for us to, to recognize that, and that's kind of leading into what I want to talk about. So as we look at the, the concept there, and I'm going to just choose three items. I'm going to choose our, our, our mind, our heart, and our hands, or the strength. Okay. Brother Bert had an illustration last night, or he had some props. thought, <clears throat> I need to bring some props out. Let's look. You got the head, okay? Love God with your head. 
kind of eerie, isn't it? Okay. <clears throat> Love God with your heart. Now, I always knew I had a big heart. Okay. <laughs> oh, interesting. Made in China. <laughs> I don't even want to go there. Okay. Uh, with our heart. Okay. We want to love God with our head, with our heart, and <laughs> with our hands. Okay. I think they go this way. <laughs> okay. Um, our head and our heart and our hands. It's interesting when you look at this concept. This concept, I'm amazed that as I was looking through the Bible, this concept of our head, our heart, and our hands is all there. It's there throughout. Let me give you a couple examples of this one. When we look at a passage, you may want to just turn to Psalm 119, verse 11. Psalm 119, verse 11. Oh, by the way, I didn't include soul, because every time I went to Amazon and tried to find a soul, uh, they gave me a, the bottom of a shoe, okay? <laughs> so that wouldn't, that wouldn't work for this illustration, but these work fine. <clears throat> so look at Psalm 119, verse 11. Thy word. How do we get the word into our, our head? Okay. Uh, we have our ear gates. We have our eye gates, we have our nose gates, but, but basically what happens is we hear the word of God, brings it into our head. We, we see the words or we see what's going on and, and we bring that into our head. So he says, thy word have I hid in my heart. So, so what happens with this, how we're to love God is it starts with our head it then needs to move to our heart. We can't just simply say, okay, let's just leave it up here. And that's what happens. Some people love God with their head, but not with their heart. So when a choice comes up, should I do this that's against God's command or should I do this? Our heart may deceive us. The heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, isn't it? I need to make sure that my head, what I put into my head flows to my heart and then flows out through my hands. Thy word, we get God's word into our head by reading or by hearing the word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Does that make sense? So the concept of head, heart, and hands is a biblical concept. Uh, and a lot of times we use that in, in different illustrations, but it's important for us to see that. But it's interesting. If you're an education major, you may be familiar with Benjamin Bloom uh, and his three domains of learning. Interesting. There's the cognitive, there's the affective, and there's the psychomotor. What, what God had known for thousands of years or God had made known for thousands of years, it, it took thousands of years for man to actually discover the simple basic principle that's in the Bible. Uh, there's the cognitive domain, which is, deals with my, my head, my knowledge, my understanding. There's the affective, which deals with my passions, my emotions, my, my desires, my values. And there's a psychomotor domain, which deals with my actions, my activities, what I do. And these three things, the, the head, the heart, and the hands, 
uh, are important that as we recognize I need to love God, I need to love God with all of my head, with all of my heart, and everything I would do with my hands and the rest of my body, I need to express love to God through that. Um, let me give you a couple of other examples. Romans chapter 6, verse 17. Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin. So you're doing with your hands what was not something that God would be pleased with. Though you were servants of sin, but you obeyed, and the idea is, again, the hands. You were using your hands for the wrong purposes. You were not glorifying God. You weren't saved. You didn't know the difference. So you were servants of sin. You obeyed with the hands from that heart to that form of doctrine. The Bible is important. And I'm glad Brother Hauk was before me because he set the stage for the fact of we need to know God's Word. We have a preserved Word of God. We can trust, we can depend upon His Word, and we need to get that Word in our head. But it doesn't stay there. It has to move down to our heart, has to go down through the rest of our body through that. Um, there's uh, other examples of this. Um, just think about this from the standpoint of those that are not servants of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 21 says, because that when they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God, neither were thankful, but became vain imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God. They used their hands for the wrong thing into images made like unto corruptible man, birds and four-footed beasts. And notice this is also the same pattern for salvation. How is a person saved? Well, Romans chapter 10, verse 8. But what saith it? The word. So again, I, I read the word. I, I understand the gospel. Uh, gospel comes in through my ears or through my eyes, goes into my head. Thy word is nigh thee, uh, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach. As we proclaim the gospel, what we're doing is we're trying to help people to get the word into their head into their mind. Verse 9, that if thou shalt confess with your mouth, it's the hands of strength. It's, it's that I, I have to have some evidence that there's been something changed in me. And, and what that is, is that God's word has come in and made a difference in my life. Uh, and, and so in this case, um, that if we confess with our mouth, Jesus is Lord. How do we know Jesus is Lord? Well, we hear the gospel. We hear the message of the gospel, and it doesn't stay there. It goes into our hearts and it makes a difference in the way that we live or the way that we understand the way that we believe. Our, our belief systems are based upon what's in our heart. But it starts with our head. And if we're not putting the right things into our head, what happens? We don't get the right things in our heart, and the right things don't come out into our hands as well. That thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and, and believe in thine heart 
that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The head, the heart, and the hands. And again, how important it is for us to understand uh, this truth. I, I want to love God with, with all of my head, with all of my heart, with all of my hands, with all of my strength. And that's what God is asking. He promised to bless us. And he does, even if we're not always faithful to those things. But how much more blessings would we get from God if we just simply follow uh, this pattern that he has given us? And so let's just talk a little bit about loving God with our head. I've got, what, one more minute? <laughs> okay, we'll try to wrap this up. <clears throat> we want to love God with our head. How do we do that? How does it start? Well, go ahead and look at verse 7, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7. It says, thou shalt teach them. Teach what? What are they teaching? You, you can respond. Yeah, the words of God, the, the commands of God. It says, thou shalt teach them diligently unto the children, and thou shalt talk about them. When thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest thy way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thy hand, uh, their, uh, thine hand, and there shall be frontless between thy eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the mezuzah of thy house, the post of thy house, and on thy gate. So what we have is we have the sense that how do I get things into my head, down to my heart, that live out in my hands? Talk about them. Okay? Do you love God with your head? How much do you talk about God? Do you talk about him all the time? Or just some of the time? What is the thing that occupies your conversation most likely? Do people hear you talk about God? Because remember, it goes in our ears and our eyes. It comes out through our mouth. Just think about this. If I take alcohol and I drink alcohol, what does it do with my mind? It distorts it, doesn't it? I'm not clear. How can I glorify God? How can I love God with my mind when I put a substance in there that's distorting my thinking? I can't. So how do we love God with our, our head? We, we love God because we talk about him. We, we read scripture. We memorize scripture. We hide his word in our heart. And notice that. I will hide thine word in my heart. Okay? We hear God's word. We, we, we hide it in our heart that I might not what? Sin against God. Head, heart, hands. <laughs> Do you want to live a life where you don't have to have those besetting sins? Feed God's word in your heart. What about the music you listen to? Um, as you drive, I know sometimes I drive around, I just have music that glorifies God. Um, and, and some of you that have been in class with me know that I, I struggle with my driving and being aggressive or being angry at people that cut me off. But I've learned that as I have either music, godly music, or I have the word of God being read coming into my ears, I'm a whole different person. I'm actually a pleasant driver. Wow, that's, that's good. <clears throat> but again, what are you putting into your head? That's the key. If you want to stop from sinning, put the right things in here. Talk about God. You know, I know we, we have uh, interests in sports and, and, and other different avenues, but, but talk about God. 
let people know that you love God. If you have a, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, if you have a wife and you never talk about them, what's the conclusion that people around you are going to say? They don't love them. But if you talk about your, your, your spouse, or your parents, or whoever it is that you love a lot, that shows that you really do love. You really do care for those people. So how do we love God with our head? Well, we infuse our mind with the things of God. We, we read his word. We memorize his word. Uh, we talk about his word. And then from there, the more we do that, the more it's going to get in our heart. Just listen again. Uh, teach them diligently unto thy children. Talk about them when thy sittest in thy house, when thou walkest thy way, when thou liest down. All the time. Uh, it shouldn't just be during chapel that you talk about God or hear God, but all the time. Um, if you need to, put, put up scriptures different places. You know, have, have around your bed some, some scriptures just to remind you, I want God's word to be in my head. I want to glorify God. I want to love God with my head. Well, think about God. <clears throat> As we have God and his word in our head, the, the more we do that, what happens, it builds the passions in us so it goes in our heart. And what's going to happen is it's going to come out our hands. It's going to be evident in the way we live. Uh, there's going to be a difference about it, but, but it all starts with our head. And again, be very, very careful what you put in your head. Be careful what you're listening to. I know some of you work in secular jobs and probably hear filthy language and filthy stories and different things like that. I know that's difficult. When you leave work, if you can, just, just fill your mind up. You know, just listen to some songs that, that praise and glorify God. Just, just try to cleanse your mind of all that evil stuff. And that's going to make a tremendous difference in your life. Let me go back to the first thing we said. Let's bow our heads. I'm going to ask you the same question I asked before. Do you love God? Do you love him with your head? Do you love him with your heart? Do you love him with your hands? And this time, I don't want you just to think about the answer. I want you to answer the question, do I really love God? Do I love God with every fiber of my being? Some of you are answering, yes, I do. Some of you may be answering, sometimes. Or maybe I love God with just my head, but it never gets into my heart. It never comes out through my hands. Maybe today is a day you need to make a commitment to God, to love him with your head, your heart, in your hands. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you, O oh, my soul. Rejoice, take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet 
sweet sound in your ear. If you really mean that, that you love the Lord, I want you to stand with me as we sing that together. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice to worship you, all my soul rejoice. Take joy, my King, in what you hear. May it be a sweet, sweet sound in your ear. 